in today's show. I'm looking at statistical outliers, the good, the bad, and do we expect regression? Do we expect progression? What do we look at? Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we're available on all platforms. What I thought I'd do today is get the top 150 players from last season and have a look at who was at the top of each particular category and who was at the bottom. Because we talk all the time about regression and progression and what you did the last season, not necessarily meaning that the same thing will happen again, especially if you are a significant outlier. We talked about that, especially in relation to blocks and shooting. You might see a guy that's, oh man, he hit 47% of his threes. That's great. What a great shooter. And then Duncan Robinson style, he becomes a 38% shooter. Still really good, but the value goes. You go from a 3.5 blocks guy to a 2.4 blocks guy, and you drop 40 spots in rankings. So looking at the guys who are right up the top of each category, most categories, and the guys that are right down the bottom where you go, that's that's painfully low. Why is that so low? That seems ridiculously low. So if there's a bump there, and you could easily bump and double those numbers, then hey, maybe you shoot up in value because this is not static. If the game was as simple as, hey, what did you do last season? Are you just going to do it again this season? Then, yeah, it'd be just as easy as looking at numbers and plugging them in when it's not that simple because that stuff doesn't always carry over. I'm not going to carry, I'm not going to look at the points category. That's influenced by too many other things, the percentages in particular. And I'm not going to look at threes either because then that's three point percentage related. But I'm going to look at the other categories, including three point percentage, to see who's the top out of the top 150, who's the bottom. And whether there's some room for those to drop or rise, depending on the situation. So, Warney? Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's start with the rebounds. These are the top, again, out of the top 150 players, these are the top guys in the rebound category. Rudy Gobert. Rudy I'm not going to drop all of their sound drops on here, but Gobert led at 14.7, Jokic at 13.7, and just on Jokic, that's he was the, the clear number one player. Clear. Every way that you can slice or dice it, Jokic was number one. And he will be number one in basically every single draft this season, rightfully so. But some of the things that have led him to be the number one player, not getting hurt, as you saw on the show yesterday, that doesn't mean that he stays healthy. There's no correlation with that. He could he might play 40 games, knock on wood. He might play 75, but we don't know that. He also was able to take his rebound numbers from 10.8 to 13.7. His numbers in his career rebounds, 10.7, these last five years, 10.7, 10.8, 9.7, 10.8, 13.7. 
Which one of those is the outlier? Well, it's obviously last season. So if Maga Porter Jr. is back, does Jokic go back and get 12 rebounds, 11 rebounds, 10 rebounds? Much like with a lot of these guys we're going to talk about, that's far from a guarantee that he stays at 14 boards per game. Be aware of that. Sabonis was at 12. Capella was at 11.8. Embiid, 11.7. Giannis, 11.6. Valanciunas, 11.4. I reckon that's a prime candidate to drop there, Valanciunas. And Nurkic at 11.1. Some of these guys like Valanciunas, Capella, Nurkic, mid-round players, that if that 11 boards goes to 9.7, is that 20 spots drop? It's It's not crazy. To expect, like, when they're putting up those numbers and they're top eight in the, in, in the league in rebounding, like, would you have thought that Valanciunas or Nurkic were necessarily that high? Nurkic, there before, averaged nine rebounds. He's been a good rebounder in the past, for sure. But last season, well, let's look at per 36. That was his best per 36 rebounding season ever. Marginally, but still his best. The last time he played um, you know, 27 minutes a night, he averaged 13.6. He was at 14.1. It's it's enough to say, look, if you drop half a rebound or a rebound per game, and they might play a little bit smaller with Jeremy Grant at the five in some lineups, that, that's possible, I guess. Just to say that if you're banking on these, I reckon you can bank on Embiid, basically. You can probably bank on Gobert, but that Gobert's 14.7. Like, that's huge. It might be 13, and 13 is really good. And you might not look at it and go, well, you know, wow, he dropped to 13, but... Those two rebounds are really important. So looking at the top-end guys and going, huh, what happens if it falls off a little bit? Not even to be bad, just to be good still, but not as good. On the back end of that, on the bottom end of rebounds, who didn't rebound the ball? Is there room for these guys to improve it at all? Thibel, 2.3. Simons, 2.6. That's one that I would watch. Anthony Simons. He'll be playing more two this year. He's not a good rebounder. But 2.6 becomes four rebounds, and value improves straight away. Gaz Trent, 2.7. Yeah, you know my criticisms of Gary Trent, because he does nothing apart from score. This year, he added steals. But that's that's putrid. Can he improve it? I'm not sure. Fultz, 2.7. Rose, 3.0. Monty Morris, 3. He doesn't play next to uh, Nikola Jokic anymore. He plays next to Porzingis and Kuzma, who aren't as good rebounders. Can Morris's three rebounds become four? Hmm. And then that might, it seems like nothing. It's a 33% increase in rebound value or rebound numbers. Mike Conley, three rebounds. Seth Curry, three rebounds. You don't expect Seth or Mike at this point in their careers to take big steps forward, but it doesn't take much. It's one rebound a game that it takes, really, to change the value of that category and improve the value of those players. It's why when we hyper-obsess about a ranking number, when this stuff, especially outside of the top 25 or whatever, is so variable and so easily pushed off off kilter, that maybe we shouldn't focus on those numbers as much. Let's look at assists. Who's at the top there? Chris Paul, 10.8. James Harden, 10.3. I look at both of those and go, well, Paul, maybe he plays fewer minutes. Harden, I think that's probably fair. The next two is where the, the worry comes in. Trey Young, 9.7. DeJounte Murray, 9.2. It's almost 19 assists between those two who are now teammates. Can't guarantee it, but I'd put a lot of money to suggest that they will not average 18.9 assists combined next season. It's just really hard to do. I would put a ton of money on that not being the case. 
Might they average 16? Might they average 15 combined? Possibly. 19? It's almost impossible. Luka Doncic at 8.7. No reason for that to change. Garland at 8.6. Rubio returning at some point. Maybe Sexton back. His numbers, if you look at them, they shot up as the season went on. There's some regression there. Halliburton at 8.2. I think that might stick. And then Jokic at 7.9. We talked about Jokic already. Those assists, though, unlike his rebounds, that's been relatively consistent for him. He was at 8.3 the year before, 7 the year before, 7.3, 6.1. There is the headmaster back, Jamal Murray, but Jokic can still be around that mark. It's not as regression uh, or in danger of regression as much as perhaps that rebound number is. On the, the back end, the downside, assists. These are, these are embarrassing. Brook Lopez averaged half an assist a game. Has Brook Lopez always been that bad of a passer? Well, you'd never call Brook Lopez a good passer. And he did only play 23 minutes a night. And he did only play 13 games. But half an assist? He has two years ago, averaged one and a half. That's tripling your output. It still doesn't make him good at it, but it improves it. Mitchell Robinson, 0.5. Well, he never touches the ball, so that's not going to happen. Gafford, 0.9. Miles Turner, one assist. He's not a good passer. But he can definitely do more than that. Same with Rashawn Holmes at 1.1. Jaron Jackson, 1.1. Gobert, 1.1. Okongwu, 1.1. Are any of them going to become the addition and diamond Al Horford types? But Al Horford was never a passer for a lot of time. Marcus Gasol was never this huge assist guy early in his career. Who's got that ability? I think Holmes has got it. I think Okongwu's got it as well. That at the low end, guys, like if one assist becomes 2.7 assists, not a high number... It changes the value of these guys. If Lopez's 0.5 becomes 1, if Gafford's 0.9 becomes 2, it changes things. It's always a good idea to look at guys who have insanely low or insanely high numbers and work out, let's push them a little bit more towards the middle, and what does it do for their overall value? The overall value of betonline.net, though, is pretty obvious. It is, of course, your number one source and the fastest and easiest way to check on all your betting needs. You can find your favorite sports and events. Odds, lines, games, all at betonline.net. Reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, or even the old golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts that got you covered. Head on, better, head over to BetOnline today. Check out NFL preseason lines. Let's pick a date. October 2nd, Seahawks-Lions. Wow. Wow, what a game that's going to be. Nat. Uh, the Lions are two and a half point favorites there. Shout out to Drew Locke and Jared Goff. Battle of the Titans. Who do you think is going to win it? Lions minus two and a half? I think the Lions might push 500 this year. Hmm, there you go. NFL advice from Josh. But if you want more information, I, 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 what am I talking about? Yep, more information on the NFL or other sports, Better Line's going to get you covered. Better Line, of course, is where the game starts. I think I just had a stroke talking about the Lions being decent, so I apologize for that. These next two categories are the real big, interesting ones because, and I have spoken about how when I like to put rankings and, and projection numbers together, I like to downweight the low volumes because steals and blocks are low volume. A good steals player gets like 1.1 or 1.2. It is not particularly high. I'm going to just check what average, what gave you like a zero um, Z score for steals if I just go to it. Like a zero, around a zero Z score is about 0.9 or one steal a game. 
That makes you bang average, one steal. Going from one steal to 1.4 steals is one standard score. It's, it's a Z score of one. That's a big difference. A one is a pretty decent chunk. And all it requires is basically for you to get an extra steal every three games. Not quite. That's 1.33. It's not quite 1.4. But that is how small a change in steals takes you from being average to being whatever it is, um, yeah, top 33rd percentile, or 67th percentile, which is what one standard score is. Takes you right up there. Right? It is not, it's one steal over three games and you can luck into that stuff. In general, the top steals guys are relatively consistent. We know that. Look at the top. Paul George, 2.1 steals. DeJounte Murray, two steals. Chris Paul, 1.9. Lonzo Ball, 1.8. But we, we look at that and go, well, that's what'll happen then. Paul George, really good defender. Okay. He's not a 2.1 steals guy every year. He could still be really good and be 1.5. But that cuts lots of value. You know what DeJounte Murray's career best in steals was? Yeah, it was last season. And while he might be more focused on defense this season, possibly, the absolute opposite happened last season where he had to be more focused on offense and his steals went up. Those things don't necessarily correlate. So if DeJounte Murray drops to 1.5 steals from two steals and drops those assists, wow, that's 35 spots down, basically, and loses usage. It is it is not a guarantee that the second best steals guy who had never previously been at that level does that again. He could. It's not a guarantee. Chris Paul, 1.9. Lonzo, 1.8. Gary Trent, 1.8. That was his easily career best. Matisse Thibel, 1.7. Off this list, I'd say Chris Paul and Matisse Thibel are the guys I feel most confident getting these similar numbers. Tyrese Halliburton, 1.7. He is pretty good on steals, but that's still a really high number. It might go from 1.7 to 1.4, which I'm going to double check this before I start talking um, nonsense. But Halliburton, yeah, 1.7 steals. What was his steals Z score impact? 1.55. If he goes to 1.4, it's 0.9. It's it's a big drop in overall value. That's probably 10 spots right there. And 1.4 steals from 1.7, it's still really good. And that is one steal every three games. It's one fewer steal every three games. That is how small this stuff is. Like That is how, how much steals can influence stuff. They are hyper low volume. Alex Caruso also there at 1.7. He might have a really good steal season, 1.2 and be basically average, barely above. It is worth looking at that and not counting necessarily on those same steel numbers being replicable. But what about on the other side? Can these low steals guys pick it up? They're not known to be high steals players. Kevin Love, Harrell, Holmes, 0.4 steals. Gafford, Zubats at 0.5. Boyan Bogdanovich at 0.5. Marcus Morris at 0.5. Mo Bumber at 0.5. Marcus Morris is interesting. He's had seasons he's been over one steal a game. You get one extra steal every two games. He's doubled his steal output. At the moment, well, last season, he got one steal every two games. If he gets one steal every game, doubles your output. If Rashawn Holmes goes instead of one steal every three games, let's say, and gets two steals every three games, it's not a lot, but it's still enough. And Holmes is probably a bad example because he's likely going to be a backup. 
But all of these guys with these low steal numbers, even Bogdanovich, terrible defender, gets no steals. One steal every two games. If he gets an, one of those, then he then it yeah, really improves that value. It really improves it. Let's look at blocks. Another low volume category, much like steals. In fact, a little bit lower volume, where it is highly dominated by a few guys. As you see, Miles Turner, 2.8 blocks. It's a great number, 2.8, isn't it? It's really, really strong. We know he's had issues with injuries. He might be traded. He's always been a good blocks guy. But it depends where you want to draft him. Let's just talk not even just about the injury and the risk with that. But he averaged 2.8 blocks, right? Good number. The year before, he averaged 3.4 blocks. The Z score impact went from 4.3 to 3.5. The year before, he averaged 2.1 blocks and 2.7 and 1.8. So 2.8 is great. And as you can tell, averaging 2.2 blocks is third in the league. But the impact of 2.8 blocks or 3.3 blocks versus 2.2 blocks is gigantic. It's such a big difference overall. And we always talk about these big outlier guys. Hey, it might drop. Now, you, I expect Jaron well, Jackson, let's not count because he's hurt. Anthony Davis, you expect them to get good numbers. Rob Williams, two blocks, sure. Turner, two, Turner's 2.8 could become 2.1 really easily. Mitchell Robinson, 1.8. Pirtle, 1.7. Bumba, 1.7. You expect them to be around that mark. But even 1.1 or 0.2 blocks per game off, it, it alters value and it alters ranking numbers, which can be confusing and can be misleading quite a bit. Um, on the negative side, well, it's unfathomable that Boyan Bogdanovich could average 0.01 blocks per game. That is an astonishing number. We already talked about how low his steal numbers were. I think he had one block for the year. Now, I am not expecting him to turn into Miles Turner or Mitchell Robinson or Jakob Pertl. And he, yeah, he's never been a good blocks guy. But he had one block all of last season, Boyan Bogdanovich. His last four years, he had four blocks the year before that, seven blocks the year before that, one block the year before that, eight blocks the year before that. None of those are good numbers. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely none of them are good numbers. But they can, they change a little bit. Brunson at 0.04. Embarrassingly low. Trey Young. Darius Garland, Anthony Simons, Tyler Hero, Don Mitchell. What about the pencil, Harrison Barnes? Barnesy. 0.2 blocks per game? If I told you, if I told you, hey, you know that Harrison Barnes averages 0.6 blocks per game? You go, yeah, I know that. If someone told me that, that Harrison Barnes averaged 0.8 blocks per game, I'd probably believe it. But that's four times what he actually does. He's got the body. He's got the position. He's got the minutes where he should be getting more of these. So if he starts to get blocks at all at any point, even if it goes from one block every five games, which is ludicrous, to four blocks every five games, which is not a big number, it can still improve it. So there is, again, there is still some scope for some improvement in the, you don't really, you don't care if Trey Young gets blocks. You don't, you don't care, Right. It's not, not important, but it just adds little bits of value, especially when people are assessing trades and looking at player raiders. All those little things go into those numbers. Should look at percentages now and where the outliers sit here. Who are the top players in field goal percentage? 
Mitch Robinson, 76%. Well, you're right. I know you're saying it. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're just listening. And Mitch Robinson says, I'll take it from here. Mitch Robinson only takes shots around the basket, and that is 100% true. Right, that is all he does. He takes shots around the basket. 76%. He should be able to finish at 76%. That, that's true. All right, he, he shot 65 the year before, before that. Did he? Was he taking threes or mid-range jumpers that year? No. No, no, he obviously wasn't. He was at 74 the year before that. He was at 69. That's what she said. No, that's not what she said. That's an actual giggity. What am I doing? Giggity. The year before that. So we know where he's taking his shots. But 76 is a stupid number. He could very easily be under 70. So could Rob Williams at 74. So could Gobert at 71. Gobert's never always been a 70-plus guy. 65, 66, sure. Gaffords was at 70. Okongwu is 69. Jarrett Allen, 68. That's an interesting one. Jarrett Allen at 68. Like, that is... It's a really high number, and it contributes a lot because we know the percentages are multi-cat influences. You get a higher percentage, you get more points. That's how that stuff works. Jarrett Allen, the year before that, was at 62. And 65 the year before that, and 59 the year before that, and 59 the year before that. I'm not saying that he's going to drop down to be 59, but 68's not a guarantee at all. Holmes at 66 and Harrell at 64. So there could you know, Mitchell Robinson could be a 64% field goal shooting guy. That's still a really good number, but it's not 76. So there is an outlier number there. And then on the other side, field goal percentage on the low end, well, just get me, just hit a couple more shots. Rubio, 36. Chumura Kiki thought, shot 38%. Now, I don't think Akiki's going to have a big role this season because of Bunkero and the return of Isaac, but he can shoot better than that. Cole Anthony at 39. I don't expect him to be good, but what if he shoots 44%? Alec Burks at 39. Well, he could easily shoot higher than that. Reggie Jackson, 39. The depressed penis, Sadiq Bay. You all think he's a shooter, yeah? 39.6% from the field last season. Now, of course, E field goal percentage and all that stuff is probably more indicative of his value. Not that he was a good three-point shooter either. But you look at him and go, well, you expect him to be a solid enough shooter. He just wasn't. But he's got scope to become a 45% shooter this season really easily. Alex Caruso under 40. Jay Crowder under 40. Caruso shouldn't be that bad. He's not a good shooter. He shouldn't be that bad. And Crowder, yeah, well, we know about what Jay Crowder does. But because of Jay Crowder's up and down. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. He could be 44, 45. Easily. Let's look at free throws. Some of these numbers are stupid. Derek Rose shot 97% from the line. Now, I don't know what Derek Rose's role is going to be. This team is still in flux. Wouldn't bank on that, though. Jordan Poole, 92.5. Steph Curry, 92.2. Projecting players to be 90-plus free-throw shooters is really tough work. And if you go from 92 on high volume to 87, still really good. 88, still really good. It actually impacts you quite a bit. So is there regression in Jordan Poole, in Steph Curry, in Kyrie Irving at 91, in Kevin Durant at 91? It's Steph's the only one there who's had consistently been over 90, but it's not always. Yeah, Kyrie, KD, they're not always there. Trey Young at 90, maybe. Desmond Bain at 90. What if he's 85? And then Clay Thompson at 90. These guys have never been... like. It's very hard to be a consistent 90% plus free throw guy. And in fact, I should probably look at this and do some statistical work on it. But I reckon the odds are that if you are a 90% free throw guy, this is just gut feeling, and I should back that up with numbers, but I reckon if you are a 90% guy, the odds would say you're probably not the next season. 
And that that hurts. That hurts value. On the other side, the negative free throw guys, well, these guys do tend to stay bad, but is Capella's 47% or could he be a 60% guy? It does matter. And while it might not matter because you're punting free throws either way, it might be an extra point, point and a half per game. Mitchell Robinson, 49. Well, he can be better than that. Jakob Pertl at 50%. He can be better than that. Drummond at 52. We've seen him be a little bit better, but we've also seen the crucifix, Christian Wood, be significantly better. Why is he a 62% guy? He could be 70 very comfortably. Andy Wiggins at 63. Why is he so low? I know he's forgotten how to shoot free throws, but we have seen him shoot 77, 78%. You don't bank on it, but you also don't rule it out. Kevin Porter at 64%. Horrendous. But he shows improvement towards the end of the season. He could be a 72% guy. Jared Vanderbilt at 76. I wouldn't bank on that necessarily, but Porter, Wiggins, Wood. Even Capella. Capella could jump 13 percentage points and still be a trash free throw shooter, but it makes a difference. And then let's look at three-point percentage to round things off. Desmond Bain shot 43.6%. Tyrese Maxey shot 42.7%. Why am I talking about these two guys? Two second-year players who took gigantic breakouts. They were great. If they shoot 38 or 39% from three, it's still really good. But it's not the same. And when you are taking the majority of your shots from three and you lose three to four percentage points, your field goal percentage loses three to four percentage points and your scoring goes down two to three points. When I look at projections and I try to project guys out, when they're a 90-plus free-throw guy, I tend to push them down under 90. When they're a 42-plus three-point guy, I might push them to 40 or 39 or 41. It's really hard to consistently be 42-43. Cam Johnson at 42.5. Yep, maybe he's a 40% guy. Lonzo Ball at 42. No way you project that to continue. Seth Curry at 42. He might be the only guy, not even his brother, Steph, who fell under 40% this year. He's guaranteed to be 40 plus. I feel like Seth Curry is. But still, it's hard. Norman Powell at 42%. We know he gets by on hyper efficiency and he's been really good at that, but usage is going to be down this season. Doesn't take much to become a 38% shooter. Kyrie was at 42 and Halliburton at 41. Halliburton's higher usage, more defensive attention. He might be a 37% three point shooter. And the hyper efficiency that's got him so high in rankings might suffer. We saw it with Malcolm Brogdon when he was on the Bucks. 40% three-point shooter. Went to the paces, usage went up, he became like a 36% guy. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Halliburton, but it might. And you can't rule it out. When these guys are at the very absolute pinnacle and the best shooters, little hits, drop them down, and value changes quite a bit. And then on, remember, three-point percentage, the most important influencing category. It changes field goal percentage, it changes points, and it changes three-pointers made. On the downside, Anthony Davis, now these are all, there were guys who shot worse in the top 150 because they never took threes. I did this as a cutoff of one, at least one three-point attempt per game. Anthony Davis, 18.6%. Now, I'm not going to come in and tell you to rely upon him as a good shooter, but holy shit, like that is horrendously bad. Even becoming a 28% three-point shooter, which is still horrendously bad for a bloke who's been mid-30s before. There's so much improvement in that. Butler at 23 he started hitting 30% of the playoffs. Evan Mobley at 25. No reason he can't be a 30% guy. Giddy at 26. Well, I don't think Josh Giddy's ever going to be a 37% guy, but 33, sure. 
Nurkic at 27. He's been a 30% guy. Giannis at 29%. We have hope. We hold out hope he can become average. He's not there yet. But if Giannis goes from 29 to 33, well, that changes a lot. Draymond at 30, well, he's probably going to stay there. But Darren Fox, 29.7. Out of that list, I would say Davis, Mobley, and Fox all have a chance of 6 to 7 percentage point rises, maybe up to 10 in their three-point percentage. And it changes so much about their fantasy value. You can't necessarily project it, but you also don't look at them and go, well, I think now Anthony Davis is an 18% guy this season, or I think that Fox is going to continue to shoot under 30, because it might not happen. And in fact, it's probably likely not going to happen, and there's going to be changes in that. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you get something out of that. It's not to tell you that they're definitely going to improve or they're definitely going to regress. But when you get to the very tippy top or the very rock bottom of those things, it doesn't take huge amounts to change things, especially in your low volume, steals and blocks, and especially in your percentages, field goals, free throws, and threes. Changes can happen really easily and it wildly changes the fantasy value of those guys. And a good place to look for regression or improvement is at the very top or at the very bottom they don't have to do much different to improve quite a bit. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, you know what to do. Drop a comment, thumb it up, and subscribe. Guys, we're done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.